on Fable City Radio with your host, Martha Whitehouse. Tonight on Fable City Radio, we will explore the story of the Goose Girl, popularized by the Grimm Brothers and published by them in Grimm's Fairy Tales in 1815. The source for this Grimm Brothers story was a famous German storyteller named Dorothea Wiemann, who was the source for many stories in one of their collections. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy The Goose Girl. Once upon a time, there lived a kindly queen who had a beautiful daughter. She had to raise the daughter by herself because the king had passed shortly before the girl was born. She raised her child well, but perhaps it was too well, for the princess was shy and so gentle and biddable that she could scarcely speak up for herself, even while she was being mistreated. Even so, a fairy who lived in the area watched over the princess, and her life for a time was charmed. When the princess was old enough to marry, her mother made a very fine match for her with a prince from a distant kingdom. The queen put together a collection of fine jewels, silver, gold, and beautiful clothing for her daughter to take with her to her new home. Then she ordered a waiting maid to see the princess safely to the castle. But before the princess left, the fairy visited her and cut off several locks of her own hair and gave them to the princess in a handkerchief, saying, Keep those close to you at all times, my girl, and they will protect you on your journey. The princess tucked the handkerchief into her bosom and mounted the special horse the fairy had given her, whose name was Falada. She was a magical horse, and she could speak just as well as any person. The princess began the long journey to her new home with the waiting maid riding beside her on a regular horse. Near the end of the first day's travel, the two women came to a stream, and the princess, who was very thirsty, said, Please get down and get me some water from that stream, and please use my gold cup. But the waiting maid, freed from the command of the queen, said, Get down from your horse and get your own water. I'm not going to be your maid anymore. The princess, who never liked causing a disagreement, dismounted and lowered her mouth into the stream to drink. She began to be frightened of what the waiting maid was up to, and she whispered to herself, What will become of me if I have no faithful companionship on this journey? In response, the fairy locks of hair whispered, This will not do. This will not do. If your mother knew she would pity you. The two women rode on, and as they reached the end of the second day, the princess's thirst once again grew intolerable, and she asked the waiting maid to fetch her a drink. For a second time, the maid said, Get down from your horse and get your own water. I'm not going to be your maid anymore. The timid girl climbed down from Falada and bent down low to get a drink from the stream. She was too frightened to use her own gold cup. As she drank, the fairy locks whispered to her, This will not do. This will not do. If your mother knew, she would pity you. The trip continued, and the princess hoped to find deliverance from her difficulties when she arrived at her new home. On the third day, they came to another stream, and the princess once again begged the waiting maid for a drink. But for the third time, the maid said, Get down from your horse and get your own water. I'm not going to be your maid anymore. When the princess bent over the water a third time, the locks of fairy hair fell out of her dress and floated away. The maid saw this and gloated to herself that the princess would now be completely at her mercy. So when she finished drinking and came back to the horses, the maid said haughtily, Now you will give me your fine clothes and you will wear these servant rags. I shall ride Falada and you will mount this nag of mine and you won't tell anyone about any of this or it will mean your death. 
The princess dressed in her servant's clothes and obediently mounted the other horse, her head bent in shame, and in this way they finally arrived at the palace of the princess's intended groom. The prince came out to greet his new bride, and seeing the waiting maid mounted on the beautiful and noble Falada and dressed like a princess, he helped her down and embraced her as his betrothed, and they entered the castle together. The poor princess sat trembling on her horse, saying nothing. The king had observed all of this, and the beauty and simple dignity of the sad princess made him ask the waiting maid who she was. She's just a servant, said the maid. Give her a job somewhere. She's not very intelligent, so anything menial involving hard labor will suit her. The king didn't know what to do with the girl, so he directed her to the boy who took care of the royal flock of geese to be his helper. The boy, a callow lad named Kurdkin, began teaching the princess how to take care of the geese, and she became a goose girl. Meanwhile, the false bride... Afraid that the talking horse would talk about the trickery and betrayal that had turned her into a princess, asked her new husband to kill Falada by cutting her head off, claiming that the animal had bitten her on the trip. The prince reluctantly did as he was asked, and Falada was killed. When the true princess learned of her faithful horse's death, she wept bitterly and asked the man who slaughtered the animal to mount Falada's head on the gate she passed through with her geese every day, and the man agreed. The next morning, when the true princess passed through the gate, she said, Alas, Falada, here you are, to which the horse head would reply, Alas, dear princess, there you go. Every evening when she returned with the geese, she would exchange the same words with the horse head. One day, after passing through the gate, the princess waited until Kurdkin walked away with part of the flock, and she took down her hair and began brushing it out. Kurdkin saw the true princess before she could finish her brushing, and when he saw the hair's unusual silver color and how beautiful the princess looked without her kerchief on, he started running towards her. But the princess still had a little magic left, and she called up a wind to blow off Kurdikin's hat and blow it away, leading him off before he could look at her too closely. By the time he got back, she had tied her hair back up, and she regained her sad goose girl demeanor. Kurdkin tried for several days to uncover the goose girl's secrets, and finally, frustrated that he couldn't catch her with her guard down, he went to the king. I can't work with that goose girl you sent me, said Kurdkin. I am tired of her secrets. The king asked him about the time he spent with the goose girl, and Kurdkin told him about the princess's strange daily conversation with Falada's head, and about the shining ringlets of silver hair she kept hidden under a kerchief. The king told him he would look into it, and the very next morning the king hid near the gate that the geese passed through every morning and evening. The goose girl spoke to the head, and the king heard her say, Alas, Falada, here you are, to which the horse head replied, Alas, dear princess, there you go. The king went back to the castle and sent for the goose girl, bidding her to tell him the truth. The princess was afraid to answer, and she told the king that she would die if she revealed the truth. But the king promised to protect her, so the princess told him the story of her trip to his kingdom and the treachery of her waiting maid. The king sent for his most trusted servant and told him to escort the princess to the late queen's maid, and he ordered that she be dressed and prepared for a royal dinner. He sent out invitations to all the nobles in the kingdom, telling them that he was giving a dinner in honor of the prince's new bride. 
After all the nobles were seated, the king nodded at the prince. On one side sat the false princess, and on the other sat the real princess. No one recognized her as the goose girl as she sat in her royal finery, wearing a gossamer gown with her shimmering silver locks framing her beautiful face. The guests were whispering to each other, asking if anyone knew who the lovely young woman was. The king cleared his throat and the room went silent. I have a story to tell. It's a true story and I'd like to hear your opinions on it. With that, he began to tell the story of a beautiful princess sent to marry a lonely prince and of the betrayal of her maidservant who stole her place in a new kingdom. The false bride began to shake and the king looked at her directly and said, What, dear princess, do you think should happen to someone who so betrayed a gentle girl? I, I think that whoever did that should be placed in a barrel, spiked with nails, and dragged by two horses through all the streets in the kingdom until she was dead, she said defiantly. And so it shall be done, said the king, and he ordered the false bride arrested at once. Then he turned to his shocked son and said, your true bride is here, my son. She has loved you from a distance, and she will be your true happiness. The prince looked into the eyes of his true princess and smiled, and he and the princess were soon married. The fairy and the queen came to the wedding, and the fairy restored Falada to life with a wave of her wand, and the two kingdoms lived happily ever after, joined by the love of their children. The End I hope you enjoyed my version of The Goose Girl. I mentioned in my introduction that the source for this Grimm Brothers story was a famous German storyteller named Dorothea Wiemann, who was the source for many stories in one of their collections. Dorothea was the daughter of a tavern keeper, and she heard many stories that she memorized and later related to the Grimm Brothers. The Grimms were amazed at how Dorothea could repeat stories word for word over and over again with no variations. After my first reading of this story, I had questions. Why would a princess be so wimpy when tortured by her maid? Why not speak up when she finally gets to her prince's castle? And mostly, why would a talking horse in a story only talk after it was dead and its head was cut off? The fairy's locks of hair are also a mystery. If they are supposed to protect the princess on her journey, why is their only action to whisper to the princess that her mother would be sad if she knew what a doormat she was turning into? Then I remembered the good advice I got from reading the work of anthropologist Cloud Levi Strauss. Levi Strauss analogizes reading mythology and folklore to reading a classical music score with multiple lines for the different instruments playing their parts. Reading straight across a single line of the score would not produce a clear picture of the totality of the music. Fairy tales need to be seen as a collection of elements that only make sense when you look at the whole story. In The Goose Girl, the fairy is seemingly an incidental character. There are hints about her being powerful, but the only direct magic she performs is when she brings Falada back to life in the last paragraph of the story. In my opinion, most of the magic in the story actually resides in the timid princess. She can't stand up for herself directly, but the magic of the fairy does strengthen the princess to do the hard work of being reduced to a peasant worker tending geese. The true princess displays her own magical nature by teasing her goose-tending boss, Kurdkin, letting him see just enough of her silver hair and letting him listen to her magical conversations with the horse's head, thus showing him just enough of her true nature to push him to go to the king with his observations about her. The talking horse Falada only speaks after she is dead, but that just shows that the magic of the fairy is indeed strong. In the Grimm Brothers version of the Goose Girl, Falada's disembodied head says, 
Bride, bride, there thou gangest. Alas, alas, if thy mother knew it, sadly, sadly, she would rue it. I made up my own falata lines because, frankly, I wasn't looking forward to saying the word gangist. Uh, but there, I ended up saying it anyway. Oh well. I also didn't know if a modern audience would get the she would rue it part. Reading early versions of fairy tales will expose you to some very flowery language. Another question raised by the end of the story is why would the waiting maid give herself a torturous death sentence when the king asks her what punishment a royal imposter should get? We can only speculate that the maid is so stupid that she doesn't recognize herself in the king's anecdote, or that she, not actually believing that she has been found out, is trying to play innocent by calling his bluff. It's hard to believe that she doesn't recognize the princess all dressed up and sitting nearby. After all, she had presumably been the princess's servant for years. Perhaps she is hoping to turn the story around and convince the king that the true princess is actually the fraud. Whatever her plan, it doesn't work out for her, and she gets the typically gruesome death that villains often get in fairy tales. And boy, does that prince run hot and cold on new wives. The prince train changes tracks in two minutes flat, <laughs> and he doesn't put up much of a, an objection about having his new bride replaced with an even newer bride. Things sure do happen quickly in fairy tales, so just keep reading, or let me do it for you. Until the next time, we meet in Fable City Radio.
I hope you enjoyed The Robber Bridegroom. This story has been a popular fairy tale throughout several centuries and across many countries. It shares common elements with other stories and poems in which a brave and fair young maiden becomes engaged to a man who turns out to be a murderer or an evil fiend. Other English stories with the same basic plot are Bobby Rag, Seller of Blood, Dr. Forrester, The Girl Who Got Up a Tree, The Courtship of Mr. Fox, Mary the Maid of the Inn, Riddle Me, Riddle Me Right, which is a Canadian story, Marriage of a Queen and a Bandit, which is an Italian tale, and several others. My story contains elements of the Grimm Brothers version, The Robber Bridegroom, as well as the English story, The Courtship of Mr. Fox. All of the versions of this story seem to be first or second cousins of Charles Perrault's Bluebeard, in which a woman unknowingly marries a cruel killer. All of the versions of this fairy tale feature a mysterious man proposing marriage. In some versions, the protagonist, in this case the bride-to-be, is enthusiastic about marrying the stranger, and in others, she is suspicious. In all cases, the bride-to-be is a brave young woman. In the poem, Mary, the Maid of the Inn, the title character is described as brave when she accepts a bet from two bar patrons who dare her to walk down a lonely dark road to a graveyard near a church abbey to pick a twig from a tree that only grows there. With a promise of a new bonnet, the maid accepts the challenge with alacrity only to find out while hiding that her boyfriend is a killer coming into the graveyard to hide a body. Most of the versions of stories of the robber bridegroom type also feature a cat and mouse game at the end where the bridegroom is tricked into listening to the bride-to-be reciting all of his crimes and then producing proof in the form of the murdered woman's hand or finger. This is usually a sing-song style exchange with repeated statements and responses, so I included that in my version. All of the Mr. Foxes in the story meet a grim end, and once they are found out, uh, that's once they are found out by the bride-to-be's friends and family. All the stories in the robber bridegroom tradition warn about the dangers of trusting people on appearance and prosperity alone. Mr. Fox looks good on the surface, wealthy, successful, and well-mannered, but the poor bride-to-be soon finds out that looks can be very deceiving. Have you ever bitten into a beautiful-looking piece of fruit only to find something disgusting inside? The Mr. Fox character seems to represent a universal fear of something attractive turning out to be rotten inside. The father in this story is predictably clueless and a little too eager to marry off his daughter, but in several of the deadly fiancé stories, the maiden is just as smitten with the secretly evil suitor as her kin are. Well, that's all I have for now. Remember to never judge a book by its cover, unless, of course, it's a romance novel, in which case that's probably a pretty good representation of what's inside. But with people, it's never a sure thing. So just remember that and join me again soon for another story in Fable City Radio.